We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Well, I would again like to wish all of you mothers here today, those that um, may be listening via the internet, we are very happy to celebrate this special day with you guys and and mothers are truly a blessing to all, everyone that's involved with a mother. Many of you have mothers. Many of your mothers have gone to be with the Lord. And so this day can be a day of rejoicing. It can be a day of, of mourning and remembrance. But the great thing is, is that we want to acknowledge each and every mother and celebrate together that day. We are truly grateful for all of you today and all of the work that you've done and all the work that you will continue to do as you serve the Lord in the capacity in which God has called you to as mothers. So we thank you. Now as I thought about what to preach on Mother's Day, you know, you go to the websites and you pick out slides and boy, they have a thousand of them that deal with Mother's Day. There's a... Mother's Days that deal with encouragement, Mother's Days that exalt mothers, Mother Day messages that are, that are just, whatever you can think of is out there. But as I prayed this week, as I sought the Lord in what I wanted to preach this morning to ask God, what would it be that you would have me give these mothers here today? And I couldn't help but think of maybe all of the mothers that have been experiencing discouragement. You know, as we just watched the video, there are many pastors, missionaries, mothers, not only in the ministry, but in daily life that are discouraged right now today. I'm sure there are many mothers here this morning that are discouraged, that are going through depression, that are going through hard times. And I want to take just a moment and preach today on how to deal with discouragement within our lives. Not only as mothers, but as men. Not only as men, but as children. Not only as laymen in the church, but pastors and pastors' wives. Now the thing about discouragement is that you don't have to be a mother in order to experience it. The question that we need to ask ourselves this morning as we come in light of discouragement is, am I discouraged today? And if I'm not discouraged today, I think most of us would agree that there will be a time in which we experience discouragement within our lives. Maybe this morning you're here and you are discouraged. Maybe you don't feel that you are a great mother. Maybe you don't feel that you have been a successful mother to your children. Maybe you don't feel that you have worth in your life. Maybe you feel worthless and not needed as a mother. Maybe your discouragement comes from a financial burden in your life. You know, we do live in a time in which finances aren't the greatest in our country. We're not making the money that we were once making many years ago. And maybe there, this morning you're discouraged. Maybe you're a student. 
And maybe you're not making straight A's as, as what you uh, feel like you need to be making or maybe something that somebody else feels that you need to make. And you're discouraged. How about you men that feel that you're maybe not providing for your families sufficiently as what you would like? And therefore, maybe you are experiencing discouragement as well. Maybe you've been sick. Maybe you've been ill. Maybe you've expected God to have delivered you from this ailment by now, which has caused you some kind of discouragement. Maybe your discouragement this morning is because you're not where you feel like God wants you to be right now. Or maybe you're not where you want to be at this moment in time. And so there's discouragement that comes along with that. Maybe you have something that you've been waiting on that you need to take place right now, but it has not yet to happen, and you want it to happen now, and so you experience discouragement. Or it could be simply that you're discouraged because you feel that God is not answering your prayers. And to be quite honest, sometimes we don't even feel like God hears what we have to say. And therefore, that creates discouragement within our lives. I want to explain something to you this morning. Discouragement can affect every life. It does not discriminate. It is not concerned with your age. It's not concerned with your gender. It can affect the wealthy. It can take hold of the poor. It can captivate the greatest Christian life. And it can destroy a well-groomed follower of Jesus. And unless we have what I call a PBR in line, it can overtake us and distract us from having God's best in our lives. My hope today is that you that are discouraged will instead of being discouraged this morning will become encouraged. Those of you that are down, my hope is that you will become up in spirit. My hope to you that are feeling worthless this morning is that you will begin to see that God loves you and that you have a value in life. Especially you mothers. You know, as I watched my wife throughout the week struggle so many days, feels like she gets nothing accomplished as she beats her head against the wall with five children. You can only imagine the discouragement that Shane feels and Missy feels with, with ten children, maybe just one child. But I want you to know this morning, you mothers have unbelievable value. Not only to your children, not only into the Lord, but into your husbands. And this morning, I want you to know if you don't feel like you have value, I want you to leave feeling like you have value. Mom, my hope for you today is that your work, you understand, is not in vain. The work you've completed as a mother, that you're still continuing as your children maybe have left home, is not in vain. Today, I would like to destroy discouragement from your life. You want to know why? Well, there was a story that I once heard about the devil. And the devil decided he was going to quit his job. Now, I don't believe that will ever happen until Jesus comes back, but let's just say it did. The story goes that the devil decided he was going to sell all of his evil tools. 
And so there he begins to, to get ready to, to sell his tools and he lines them up and he places price tags on those evil tools as such as trickery, hatred, jealousy, malice, deceit, sensuality, and all of the many other evil tools that work well as he places them with price tags. But there in the center, there in the center of this display of evil tools in which Satan is going to sell, sits one tool that is worn to the hilt. You can tell that it's been used over and over and over because it was worn down. And when you looked at the price tag, it exceeded all of the other tools in which the devil was selling. And one asked the devil, what is that there? He says, oh, that's the tool of discouragement. He said, why, why is it so high priced? The devil said that, well, it's because it can do my best work. It can do better work than all of these other tools that I have. With that tool, I can make many lives feel like they have no value. With that tool, I can make the greatest Christian man lay down and give up and simply become useless. And the greatest thing the devil says is, they don't even know it's me using it. This morning, I want you to understand, discouragement is not from God. It is from the enemy. It is from the enemy. And if Satan only had one tool in his tool bag, you know what it would be? It would be the tool of discouragement. And today I want you to leave with a proper biblical response to the tool of discouragement. The definition of discouragement is this. The act of discouraging or the state of being discouraged or secondly, something that discourages. Now listen, I ain't the smartest man in the world, but I don't know about you, but that don't do me no good. There ought to be a rule in which says that you are not allowed to use the word in which you're trying to understand within the definition that you want. As I read that, I thought, you got to be kidding me. I'm trying to figure out what discouragement really means and we keep using it. So I came up with another definition that I think gives us the core of the meaning of discouragement. And so here's the definition that I found. Discouragement is a feeling of having lost hope or confidence. How many this morning have felt like they've lost hope? How many of you this morning have felt like you've lost confidence? If He can get you to do that, He can win. And if He fails to get you to have hope and confidence, listen to me this morning, He will get you to place your hope and your confidence in the wrong thing. Discouragement is the loss of hope and the loss of confidence. But today we're going to look at how we, Christians, mothers, moms, dads, sons, daughters, how we can have a proper biblical response to the evil tool of discouragement because I want you to understand this morning, you may be perfectly well right now, but there will come a time in your life when you will experience discouragement. And we need to have a PBR lined up. A proper biblical response. A planned biblical response. 
Well, if you will this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. There are slides for those that don't have their Bible this morning. I encourage you to bring your Bible. It's a pretty important book. And I think you'll get a lot more out of the message if you follow along in the Word of God. But here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read from the New American Standard, verses 1 to 3. Here it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin, the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are four things this morning that I want you to get from this text of Scripture. I believe will help give us a proper biblical response to discouragement. Number one, we need to learn from those of the faith. We need to learn from those of the faith. Secondly, we need to lay aside entanglements. We need to lay aside our entanglements. Third, we need to last in the race. And fourthly, we need to look upon Christ. We need to look upon Christ. As we get ready to look at these verses, I think it's wise for us to begin to search and understand the context of Hebrews chapter 12. It begins, remember, with the word therefore. And when we see the word therefore in the, in the Scriptures, we need to ask the simple question, what is therefore, therefore? Well, what it's doing is taking us back to chapter 11. Some, of, some people call this chapter 11 the hall of faith. Here we have men and women of God that have accomplished great things in life because of their faith and their trust in the Lord. And then we come to here to chapter 12, in verses 1 to 14, which really seemed to, to be a segment in itself. And what we see within these verses is we see people dealing with some kind of discouragement. We see there in verse 12, it's talking about the children of the Lord being weak and having knees that are feeble. It gives us a picture of someone struggling. And in verse 3, we see the encouragement of not becoming weary or losing heart. And so while we begin with people of faith, the chapter heads to a people that seems to need encouragement because of discouragement in their lives. So number one, we need to learn from those that are of the faith. He says, therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Because of chapter 11, let us look to these people for understanding in the life and in the face of discouragement. We have been given a great history of men and women who have faithfully overcome the sin and the deception of discouragement. And all of these hall of faithers face discouragement in their lives. Just a few of them I picked out this morning. And so let us look at a couple. What, what, remember Abraham? 
Abraham, a man of God, God told him, if you remember, He said, I'm going to make you a, a great nation. Your people shall be like the dust of the earth. If they, if they can be numbered, then God said your people could be numbered. It's rhetorical. They couldn't be numbered. We can't number all of the dust across the world. But here, we see Abraham is encouraged. He's on top of the world. He's experiencing something great as, as God has made a promise to him that he was going to make a great nation through him. But yet we come to Genesis chapter 17 and what is Abraham told? He says what? He told Sarah that God told him that Sarah was going to be the one that was going to bring about the child. And all of a sudden, he begins to disbelieve. He, he actually asks, how is it that a 90-year-old woman will bear a son? And so we begin to see discouragement pour into the life of this man, Abraham. Was he discouraged? Of course. Why? Because he lost hope. He lost confidence in God. And we see the sin there of unbelief. You see, he didn't believe that God could do what he said he could do. And so he was up, but then he was down with discouragement. How about the life of Moses? You remember Moses? God called this man to deliver his people from slavery. God shows him that he is the man for the job. Moses believes that he's the man for the job after, after not really wanting to accept the job. And then he meets his brother. And if you remember, when they met their brother, God said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses does what he's supposed to do in obedience. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, let my people come to worship the Lord in the wilderness. But when he did that, what did Pharaoh do? He said, your people are lazy. Double their work. And don't give them straw. Don't give them what they need, but double their work. And all of a sudden, we see this man that was called. Called to a ministry to deliver the people from Israel. And here he goes in with hope and faith and obedience and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And here we see in Exodus 5.22, it says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did, you even, why did you ever send me? Here Moses has done what God has called him to do through his obedience. Moses doesn't get the results that he was hoping for. And then he becomes discouraged. He becomes discouraged. Why? Because he lost hope. He lost confidence. And, we, and then we see the sin of unbelief. You see, the list goes on. The list goes on and on. All of these people in, in Hebrews chapter 11 struggle with discouragement. But as we look back to these men and women of faith, there's a common denominator. Men and women of faith overcame discouragement. That's why they're listed in the hall of faith. That doesn't mean there won't be times of discouragement 
in your life. And that doesn't mean there wasn't times of discouragement in their life. The question is, how do we deal with it? And this morning, I want to give us a proper biblical response. Number one, we must learn from those of faith. And secondly, we need to lay aside encumbrances, entanglements. You see, these men struggled, but they laid aside the sin of unbelief and got back into the game. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. It's the sin of unbelief this morning that I want you to understand entangles us in the problem of discouragement. And here the Hebrew writer says, lay aside. Lay aside every encumbrance. Everything that burdens you. All that stuff that weighs you down. You know, as I've been on the diet, I've lost several pounds. And, and, and every week I go to weigh in. You know what I do when I weigh in? I start peeling clothes. I take off my belt. I take off my wallet. I take off my shoes. You know why? Because that stuff weighs on me and makes me look like I'm bigger than what I really am. And I want to know the real me. And much like it is, you know, I've been helping coach golf. And then, you know, I'm 35, I'm not, you know, 20 anymore, I'm not 18, but I go out with these kids and, you know, they don't give you golf carts when you play on the high school team, and so you walk. And so here I am carrying this golf bag around for 18 holes. And let me tell you what, you don't want to carry a bunch of extra stuff in that bag because you might be alright on hole 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. But when it comes to 10, 11, 12, and all the way to 18, you start getting wore out as an old guy. And so we take out those extra golf balls. We take out all of that extra water and that food and everything else and we just want to have the essentials. And that's what we need to do by laying aside the encumbrances of life. These things that often weigh us down are most of the time nothing's wrong with them. Most of the time there's nothing wrong with them, but they, they don't result in the best. And so we need to place them aside. We need to stop trying to, to be something that we're not designed to be. You know, I could go out there and get frustrated that I didn't shoot a 70 like Micah does. You know what? God didn't design me to be a PGA Tour guy. So I don't get upset about it. I, I might get a little frustrated, but, but, but when, I, when I act like I'm something I'm not, I can get discouraged. Why did I hit that in the tree? Well, because you're not a golfer. <laughs> and so we need to make sure that we're not placing stuff on us that God has not created us to be and then get discouraged when it doesn't happen. Maybe God this morning, listen, maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want you to be rich. <laughs> if everybody was rich, there would be no poor people. Maybe God doesn't want you to be rich. So stop trying to be rich and getting discouraged because you don't have a lot of money. Maybe God doesn't want you to be in a certain place right now. Stop being discouraged because you're not over there while you're here. Maybe God has you here for a reason. Maybe God doesn't want you to make straight A's this morning, guys. Listen, that ain't no excuse to go make F's, okay? We need to give God our best. 
But maybe God didn't design you to make straight A's. And so when you make a B, don't be discouraged. Come on. Do your best. Maybe God doesn't want you to be perfectly healed right now. Maybe God has something better for you in the state you're in. And because we focus so much on what we have going on, we lose sight of what God wants us to learn. Or how God wants us to be used. Maybe God doesn't want you to experience your best life now. Adding all of those kinds of unnecessary encumbrances bring on the sin of unbelief which result in discouragement. God wants us to be the best we can be at whatever we do. But when we do what we can do to the best of our ability, that brings glory to God. That doesn't result in discouragement. That results in pleasing God. And so listen, this morning, if you feel like you're not the greatest mother, are you doing the best job you can? Then glory be to God. This morning as a husband, maybe you aren't providing the financial situation you want your family to be in. The question is, are you working hard? Are you looking for a job? If you're looking for a job and you're working hard, then glory be to God. He can use you right where you are. God wants us to be the best we can be at whatever we're doing. You see, it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. I want you to understand this morning, God is able and capable to do exactly what it is that you need done. Don't lose sight of that. God is able to accomplish anything. If He can create you, if He can create me, if He can build these mountains, these beautiful peaks that we look out every morning, if He can create that in six days, He can do anything at all. Everything. We need to make sure that we're not allowing the sin of unbelief to drive our discouragement this morning. God knew what He was doing with Abraham and Sarah. You think it took God by surprise? I mean, yeah, God could have made them have a baby, but how powerful would that have been today? Oh yeah, He just had a baby. But let's take a woman that's not able to have a baby and make her have a baby. Now that's God working. God knew that the Israelites were going to come out of Egypt with Moses. It wasn't a surprise to God when, 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 when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way, dude. Increase their work. As a matter of fact, God told Pharaoh that he was going to harden his heart. He wasn't going to do it. God knew what He was doing. But many times, listen, we want God to work in our time frame. You see, when we want God to work in our time frame, it sets us up for discouragement. But when we trust in God, when we put our hope and our confidence that God is in control, it allows us to be patient and say, God, I know what you're doing. I feel the pain. 
I, I'm struggling with this burden. I need this done right away, but, but I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to trust that just like Abraham and Sarah, you knew what you were doing. Just like Moses and Pharaoh and the Israelites, you knew what you were doing. But many times we don't wait. We want God to work on our time frame. And He doesn't work that way. We don't move God. God moves. We are so easily entangled in the sin of unbelief and then it paralyzes us and renders us useless. And Satan has the victory. Listen, I lived that way for many years of my life. I felt like God called me into the ministry Five, six, seven years. I can't remember now, but it was a long time before I actually listened. You know why? Because I said, God, you can't use me to be no preacher. I graduated with a 1.7. For you who don't know that day, that's bad. Okay? Not acceptable. I wasn't trying hard. I didn't make straight A's. I wasn't unbeliever for most of my life. How can you use me as a pastor when I did all of this junk? You know why? God has plans that aren't necessarily mine. And for those years, I was stunned by the sin of unbelief. But it was when I submitted unto the Lord and I said, Lord, whatever it is, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll be willing to do it. If you will make the way and He begin to grow me and He begin to use me for His work. But I had to lay aside the weight of thinking that I had to be a perfect straight-A student in order to do what God wanted me to do. I had to lay aside the fact that, that I had grew up in an unbelieving home, that I grew up doing things that I'm not proud of today. Because when I laid those aside, God began to grow me. We need to rely on the examples of others who are in the faith that have walked the Christian life, like those in the hall of faith. We need to shed all of the extra encumbrances that have been placed on us by individuals and even by ourselves when we're trying to be something that God hasn't called us to be. And we need to ask God, listen, we need to ask God to forgive us for the sin of unbelief that we have in our lives. This, this will begin the process of freeing us from this entanglement, this discouragement that's within our lives. We need to learn from those of the faith. We need to lay aside entanglements. And thirdly, we need to last in the race. Do you realize this morning that you're in a race? Each of us should be running the race as Christians. That's between you and God, not my business. But I'm asking you this morning, are you in a race? Or are you just floating through life? Because when we're in a race, we prepare. We're ready. We just don't go run a race without being prepared. He says, therefore... Since we have so great a crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Listen, if you fail to shed the weight, 
If you fail to untangle yourselves through Christ for the sin of unbelief, if you fail to look to others for guidance in your life through the Word of God, you will not last long in the race that's been set before you. You will tire. You will weary and you will become discouraged and you will lay down. But listen, I want to draw your attention to one word in this section of Scripture this morning. Don't lose me here. Stay with me because I think this is going to clarify a lot of things. It says this. It says, Run with endurance the race. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, it's just like any race. I'm not a big racer because I'm not a runner. The only time I run is something's chasing me. And typically, if I'm where something's going to chase me, I have a gun. Okay? But here it says, run with endurance the race. You know what the Greek word there is? Agon. Does that word sound any familiar with the English word? Agon? Agon? How about agony? It's where we get our English word agony. Let me ask you this morning. Do you look at the Christian life as a race of agony? The race of life, listen, is not easy. The Christian walk is not some stroll in the park. That's why I can't stand the prosperity gospel. You want to know why? Because if life is supposed to be such a stroll in the park and and perfect and wealthy, what about those people in foreign countries that have never heard the gospel? Why in the world would I take my family to another country and risk my wife being raped and my children being hacked to pieces and me suffering for the sake of Christ if my life is just supposed to be prosperous. Christian walk is difficult. The race that Christ has called us to is agony. It's a struggle. It's a fight. Amos 6.1 says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria. The Christian race is one that is grueling, is difficult, is taxing. It's not one of ease. And that's why Christ can tell us to take up our cross daily and follow Him. It's a great symbol of the self-sacrificial service, this race that God has called us to. But our problem in America is that we are spoiled, rotten. (laughs) And if we don't get what we want, what do we do? We lay down. Listen, I'm guilty. I'm a spoiled American. I'm sorry, just the way I was raised. I have had food. I've had a house. I've had warm clothes. I've had everything in life that I needed. Therefore, when I don't get what I want, sometimes I'll just want to lay down and quit. And I become discouraged. But many times our discouragement comes from not having a true understanding of what God has called us Christians to. And so we're called to endure, to have endurance in this agonizing race of life. And listen, don't miss one important thing here. It says, the race that is set before us. This is a race set before us. 
You don't pick your own race. The race is placed there for you. We don't choose our race. And when it's tough, and when it's difficult, we can choose to lay it down and quit, or we can endure the race that's been set before us. God doesn't place more on us than we can bear. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that knowing there will be sufferings in this race that God has placed us to run. We need to, to do all that. But lastly, we need to look upon Christ. The last point is we need to look upon Christ. This is how we run. This is how we finish strong. There are not many prizes worth in this world to suffer for. But when we fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, it makes the agony well worth it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of faith, for, for, who for the, the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising shame, and has, and has set down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Let me ask you this morning an important question. What, what are you looking at today? Are you fixed in on the problem? Or, or are you focused in on Christ? Because when we get focused in on the problem, we lose sight of Christ. And it begins to destroy us. That's what happened with the people of Israel. Remember? When Moses, they had made it to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and Moses said, I'm going to go up and meet God on the mountain and you stay down here. What happened when he, when he left? He was gone for a few days and the next thing you know, they're saying, where's Moses? You see, what they've done is they've taken their eyes off of God and they, they placed their eyes on the problem. And so they, they started building these, this golden calf and they started to worship that and God and mixing the two together. The question is, what are we looking at today? And the question that we need to ask ourselves, is it Jesus or is it our situation? Can you be okay with not delivering the Israelites out of Egypt today? It's coming. We know they're coming out. Maybe just not today. There are many more plagues that, that must take place before they come out. The important thing to remember is that they're coming out one way or another in God's timing. You won't be in that low valley forever. You won't have those same struggles you have today later down the road possibly. But are you okay with being there for the glory of God? The wilderness lasted for a long time, but they came out and entered, if you remember, into a promised land. They were sick and lame for a long time there at the pools of Masada, but Christ came in His time and healed them. The joy that was set before Christ in which He endured that suffering on that cross was to glorify the Father who is in heaven. 
It brought Jesus joy to please the Father through His sufferings, to die for you and to die for me. He is our example. And so this morning we need to make His joy our joy. And that is making joy in ourselves because we're obeying the Father. He was exalted up to the right hand of the Father. And we will be exalted with the King of kings and Lord of lords one day. And that should allow our hearts to burn with joy in the midst of our trials. Knowing that it's only for a short time in which we will suffer. But our reward in heaven, oh, it will be great. But it takes keeping our eyes on Jesus. For considering Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When it seems like, listen, all hope is gone in your life. When it seems like you have come to the end of your rope. When it seems like God has simply left you high and dry. When it seems like you will never escape the mess that you are in. And when you're not sure that your faith can hold on any longer, we need to learn to lay last and to look. Learn from those with the faith. Lay aside those extras. Wait in the sin of unbelief. And last in the race of agony. And look at the face of Jesus. Look at how He endured so much for us. Look at how much Christ suffered that we might have life. It should encourage us to know that when we suffer, Christ suffers. We need to have hope in Jesus. We need to have confidence in Jesus. We need to learn, lay, last, and look. That is the proper biblical response that we need to have this morning. That's what we need to do in order to overcome the discouragement which indwells our life sometimes. The devil, listen, ain't quitting his job anytime soon. He ain't selling his tools and he sure ain't getting rid of the tool of discouragement. He is alive and well and working in the lives of people every day. And if you're not going through discouragement this morning, it might be our opportunity to encourage those who are discouraged. To encourage those who may be going through a hard time. Will you fall for His trick? Or will you have faith like all of those we find in chapter 11? Looking to Christ. Christ is the solution. Glorifying the Father should be your joy. Don't lose heart This morning, my brothers and sisters, mothers, but turn your eyes upon Jesus.